Have you noticed that the world is changing? Like right now, not tomorrow or a year from now. The world is changing right now. Which means that people are changing. Uh, clothing styles are changing. Technology, how we interact and communicate with each other is definitely changing. Uh, shopping, many of our country's most iconic retail stores are bankrupt or near bankrupt. How we travel, uh, many of us under 35 uh, couldn't find our way home if our phones went dead because Google Maps wouldn't be available. Attitudes and priorities around spirituality have been changing as well. Uh, many people still value personal spirituality but not organized religion. And the world is changing again right before our eyes. And we're in a huge cultural and generational shift. Not a shift that we can see off in the distance or that is sort of in the past. This shift is happening right now. And how we respond individually and corporately as a church will impact the level of influence we have on the next generation. And when I say the next generation, I'm not sure maybe what comes to your mind, maybe Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen Alpha. I'm not necessarily referring to those generations specifically. I'm referring to your child, whether that child is a baby or 45 with their own kids. Your child that you're thinking about college with, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews. The next generation is personal to you. They have names and faces. The next generation isn't sort of some category somewhere. It is our family, friends, and neighbors. And one of the biggest obstacles to how we respond to these cultural shifts that will impact our influence in the next generation is really our preferences. That many times when we get older, we, we sort of like our preferences more and, and we have less likelihood to change them. And I get that, believe me. This last year has reminded me of my preferences and my tendency towards those preferences. Uh, my kids are talking about video games and technology that I have little desire to learn about. My preference would be to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 1990s Chicago Bulls, and play my Game Boy. Uh, speaking of video games, uh, it would sort of be like right now expecting to play video games with your friends if you only had a Game Boy. Now, initially mentioning this would sort of be fun and it's old school, but eventually your friends would ask, did you bring an Xbox or PlayStation controller? And there are a couple things that will happen if you only bring a Game Boy. Uh, someone will be playing video games, but that someone will not be you. So as we think about how we are going to respond to these huge generational and cultural shifts that we're experiencing, as a church, we can't show up with just a Game Boy from the past. That's not to say that new technology is the answer. That's not it at all, actually. But we need to learn about and understand the shifts that are happening so that we know what is needed right now. But if we as the church show up to this cultural and generational shift with just a Game Boy from the past, number one, someone will be influencing the next generation. And that someone will not be us. So how are we addressing these huge shifts in culture and the changes that we're seeing in the world around us? What can we do to help people find hope and life in Jesus? How does our church need to adapt and change to reach people who aren't looking for us? One thing that we know is that our preferences usually have no impact on influencing the next generation. Or another way to say that is, if we hold on too tightly to our preferences, we will lose influence with future generations. We don't have to look very far back, just back to the preferences of our parents or grandparents. And while it's sort of retro and somewhat cool to you know, like some of the things from previous generations, uh, generally speaking, we don't actually want to keep many of the preferences of the generations before us. So, how can we address this cultural and generational shift while helping people not looking for church? So we're going to start a conversation about that today. 
We find some inspiration in a story that John records for us in his account in his gospel. John captures an instance of Jesus interacting with someone very different from himself. And based on this interaction with Jesus, this person's life was changed forever. So we're going to highlight some of the important principles from this story, some of which start right at the very beginning, and it would be very easy to read right past them. We're going to be in John chapter 4. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, uh, if you don't have the Bible app, you can go to bible.com app. Once you have the app, click the More menu option in the bottom right, then Events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Again, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, says this, So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Again, John's sort of giving us some important context to start, that we have to understand a little bit about the geography of the Middle Eastern world. Continue on verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, this is actually the verse that the story sort of revolves around. Now, you might be saying, like, really? Like, that doesn't feel very life-changing or important. And on top of that, many of you who are better Bible scholars than I am are saying, no, he didn't have to go through Samaria. And you would be correct. He didn't have to. But the most common route that Jewish people would take if they were going from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, northeast, would be to go straight east and then go north along the Jordan River. And then they would sort of skirt the side of Samaria going through a corner of it. It wasn't the quickest or the most direct route. So you might ask, well, why would a Jewish person take a longer route? And the answer is because they didn't like the people in Samaria. The Jewish people viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds. The Samaritans were of lesser value in the eyes of God and certainly of lesser value in the eyes of the Jews. Uh, the Jews would do whatever it took, including taking a longer route to avoid the Samaritans. Uh, the Jews didn't want any contact with them. The Jews didn't want to talk to them. The Jews didn't want to see the Samaritans. And even though the most direct route was to go straight through Samaria, the Jews would go another way to avoid the Samaritans. And even by that route uh, that Jesus would take to get to Galilee, Jesus is trying to tell us something. He takes an uncommon path. He doesn't take the normal path for people like him as a Jewish rabbi. In fact, in the name of God, religious leaders took the long route to avoid who they were against. And yet the Son of God took the uncommon and direct path to interact with the same people. That sometimes we can get frustrated with God because he seems and feels invisible at times. But Paul would later say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And Paul seemed to understand that it can be frustrating to follow someone who is invisible. And so he describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God. That if you want to know what God is like, just watch what Jesus is like. If you want to know how God feels, just watch how Jesus felt. If you want to know how God would interact with people, just watch how Jesus interacted with people. That Jesus didn't have to go that way, but he took the uncommon and direct path to interact with people he was for. Verse 5, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And again, John is giving us some context and details, letting us know that this is actually a real place. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came. So you might ask, well, like, why did John tell us it was about noon? Uh, and for those of you who have been to this part of the world, you know how hot it could have been at 12 noon. Or for those of you who have been to Bakersfield in the summer, you also know what it is like to stand on the face of the sun in the summer. It's blazing hot in the Middle East at noon. So a person 
would have gone to the well at noon probably only because they knew other people wouldn't be there and or they were embarrassed about something and they just didn't want to face people who might ridicule them so they might decide to go to the well to get water at noon alone and as we're going to see further this Samaritan woman was facing at least two large social norms in this situation with Jesus first again the Jews and Samaritans really hated each other more on that in a moment but second this woman was an outcast probably among her own people uh, again, we don't we know this probably because of the time of day and a few other details, but this woman has no other group of people that are sort of her group of people. She doesn't feel like she fits anywhere. Uh, maybe some of you have felt that same way. Uh, all the moms are sort of circled up and, and you just don't feel like you fit. Uh, the coworkers are on Zoom with you and you just don't think, those are my people. Uh, maybe you felt that way about church and you thought, I don't think I fit with those people. I don't really know your story, but it's likely that you have felt the same way at some point. And that is what this woman is probably experiencing right here. And then Jesus is going to request something from her. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to drink water, to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, this, probably, this woman probably would have been very surprised at this request. And so John sort of helps us to understand again why. Verse 9. The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And some translations add another part of the explanation that says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Because for those of us reading this, we probably don't know about all the turmoil, all, all the history, all the things that happened to lead to this situation. But the bottom line is, Jews and Samaritans did not associate with each other. And so this woman couldn't believe that Jesus, who was a Jew, would interact with her and talk with her. That Jesus was breaking down various levels of social norms. A Jewish person talking to a Samaritan person, a man talking to a woman in public like this, a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. But Jesus wasn't afraid of associations. And now I'm not necessarily talking about your homeowners association, though maybe. <laughs> I'm talking about being afraid to be associated with that person because of their past, because of their political affiliation, left, right, center, because of who they are connected to. In many instances, including this one, Jesus would take the uncommon route that Jesus seemed to have a regular rhythm to be with people that others would avoid. He was moving towards the marginalized. He wasn't afraid of acquiring a bad reputation just for being with certain people. If that is who Jesus was and what he did, then us as Jesus followers, we have to move towards people he is for as well. Verse 10, Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God is for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And again, Jesus is trying to like clearly shift the context of the conversation from meeting a physical need to something much deeper. He's referring to that deeper appetite that we all have, that humans all long for, that really he only can fulfill. But the Samaritan woman isn't picking up on this. Verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And, and this well is very deep, so where would you get this living water from, she would say. Like, how are you going to get this living water out of this very deep well? That Basically, this woman isn't looking for God or for Jesus. She was just looking for water. She wasn't on some spiritual journey and then all of a sudden things came together. No, she's just really getting some water. And as we'll see, Jesus alone could offer her the answer to the questions that she was asking deep in her heart. Jesus was the answer to the questions she didn't even know how to articulate, and she doesn't quite see it. So how do you and I come in contact with people who aren't necessarily looking for Jesus? Do you have regular contact online, not, 
not in person right now, do you have regular contact with people who God and Jesus aren't even on their mind? Now, we know that at some point, they're going to need what Jesus alone can offer. But if we don't have contact with them, they will likely miss that opportunity. We will miss that opportunity. Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. That Jesus basically makes this claim here and later that I'm not giving water to people who don't feel like they need water. I didn't come for healthy people. I came for sick people. I'm trying to find the thirsty people who know they need a savior. And I'm trying to make sure that you know I'm here for you. And interestingly, Jesus didn't invite her to the temple. He met her at the well. And at this time, the sermons were mostly preached in synagogues and in the temple. But Jesus didn't invite her to hear the sermons there. And you might ask, well, why didn't he? Because Jesus knew that people who didn't feel welcome, they wouldn't go. And this woman probably didn't feel welcome because of her lifestyle, because she was a woman, because she was a woman from a different ethnicity, for a various list of different reasons. And here's something that should speak to all of us, but especially to me, that Jesus preached hundreds, if not thousands of sermons in the synagogue or in the temple, but not one of them impacted this woman because she wasn't there to hear them. So instead of Jesus inviting her to the temple, he met her at the well. And the well really represented a rhythm in her life. Every day at some point in the day, she was going to go get water. So instead of inviting her into his world, he walked straight into her world on purpose. So a question for discussion, how can we connect with people in the regular rhythms of their lives? The woman responds to Jesus' offer for living water by saying this in verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. That basically Jesus lets her know that he knows who she is. This isn't a mistake. Uh, he knows who she is. And his willingness to have a conversation with her was not based on some misunderstanding of who she was. It was precisely because of who she was that Jesus connected with her. That her past didn't get in the way of Jesus extending an invitation to her. And this lady was a social outcast. She was marked as, a, as immoral and a sinner. And she was an unmarried woman living with the sixth man in a series of relationships. But Jesus wasn't afraid of connecting with this woman given her past. In fact, he knew about that before he came to this well. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. The woman said in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. It's possible this is her way of sort of getting out of this conversation that has sort of turned a little bit awkward in her mind and many of our minds. Verse 26, Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And we probably can't understand the magnitude of this statement to this woman. He's making sure he knows, that, that she knows rather, that God has sent him to her. That he is the image of the invisible God and he came to let her know that God wants to connect with her even though he knows about her past. And this sort of shatters all of our cultural paradigms. This shatters all of our ideas about who can connect with God. This shatters this woman's idea of God and what he thought about her. And this should shatter who we connect with and how we approach them. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone that she was so surprised that she left the thing that she came there for. 
She walked all the way there in the blazing heat, but she forgot what she came to do. She was so amazed that she went back to her town and told everyone. Verse 29, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? That if he's willing to connect with me, then he will probably want to connect with you, she would say. Verse 30, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. And this story really teaches us many things, but I'm going to highlight a few today. Number one, we should connect with people in the natural rhythms of their lives. That this woman wasn't looking for Jesus, as far as we can tell. This woman, uh, who would have never gone to the religious buildings or even thought she was welcome there, this woman's life was changed because Jesus met her at the well instead of inviting her to the temple. That Jesus knew how powerful it was to connect with people in the natural rhythms of their life. Uh, when you move to where people are, what they're going through, what's happening with them, that can be very powerful in their lives. So as we ask the questions about the huge cultural and generational shifts we're seeing, particularly around people's lack of engagement with church and God, number one, we need to connect with people in the natural rhythms of their lives. Now, I'm all for leveraging our church, church online, big events, etc., to connect with unchurched people. However, that can't be the only way we share the message of Jesus with people like this Samaritan woman. Because if that's the case, and they are never in church, then they will never hear about Jesus. We as individuals and as the church have to connect with people in their normal rhythms of life. Work, school, shopping, in the park, walking in your neighborhood, at the gym. What are the natural rhythms of the people around you who are not thinking about God or the church? We need to be driven by curiosity in these moments to learn about people who might be different from us. And then we need to ask, how can I connect with them in those rhythms? Uh, number two, we need to connect with people who are far from God. Uh, both of those points probably involve messing around with our preferences and may require us to take an uncommon path or uncommon approach. Uh, some might say, well, I, I've never seen it done that way, or I like the way that we used to do it. Uh, people challenge Jesus, particularly on this point of connecting with people who are far from God. But Jesus was and is many things, but Jesus is also a bridge to people. So are we going to be a bridge to other people as well? Are we going to go to them or expect them to come to us? We all know this, but bridges really connect two things. And Jesus connected two people himself to this woman, but he didn't stop there. He connected a bridge to this woman by going to her, not expecting her to come to him. He even went so far as to rearrange his travel itinerary to be with her. Now, you might need to hear this. But your Heavenly Father will do the same thing to be with you as well. So as we wrap up, are we going to be a bridge for other people? Are we going to go to them or expect them to come to us? Or are we going to go to them keeping our preferences while using sort of that Game Boy to interact with the next generation? That Jesus followers should break down barriers and set aside their preferences to meet people where they are rather than expecting them to come to us. So to live this out with my kids, I'm trying to learn about Ninjago and what that involves. Uh, Frozen, everything about Frozen. Uh, dozens of books about middle school boys being either wimpy or ninjas or all kinds of things. Uh, paper craft stuff is everywhere in my house right now. Because I want to go where my kids are. So what can you do personally to be a bridge for other people? And, and then as a church, how are we addressing these huge shifts and changes we're seeing in the world around us? What can we do to help people find hope and life in Jesus.
How does the church need to adapt and change to reach people who aren't looking for church? How can we as a church connect with people in their natural rhythms of life? How can we as a church be a bridge to the next generation in this changing world? Because as Jesus followers, we need to be bridges that connect with unchurched people and the natural rhythms of their lives, just like Jesus did. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this story, this instance of Jesus' life, where he would be so intentional about going out of his way, in a sense, going a different path, going an uncommon path to go talk to this woman who really he shouldn't have talked to, that it wasn't okay socially to talk to. And yet he was willing to break those social norms to do it. He was willing to do whatever it took to help this woman know that God was for her, in spite of her past, knowing her past. So God, would you help us to go out of our way to help people who are far from you, who might not know about you, might not even be thinking about you. And God, would you help us to do whatever it takes? Would you help us to set aside our preferences? Would you help us to break down barriers? Would you help us to be willing to take the time to interact with people who are far from you that might not be like us, they might be different than us. But God, would you help us to love them? Would you help us to point them to Jesus? Would you help us to know how to apply this message? Would you give us the wisdom to know what to do? And then God, would you also give us the courage to actually do it? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.